And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 153, playoff episode number 11. It's Monday, October 12th. Derek Van Riper, Britt Girola, Eno Saris, all here with you as we kick off another great week of playoff baseball. We're coming off a great weekend of playoff baseball. We had Game 5, of course, between the Yankees and Rays. That was on Friday night, which feels like a lifetime ago. We already had Game 1 of the ALCS, which, frankly, I think was a pretty good follow-up. I mean, an elimination game is kind of its own beast. It's hard to match the intensity of a game like the one we saw on Friday night. But for an opening game of an LCS, I kind of feel like we got what we deserved in the first game of the Astros race series. I mean, no one deserved the Houston Astros in the ALCS, <laughs> but <laughs> I can think of one person, especially not the Astros. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Derek, that no issue here is everyone now changing to a different podcast. Like, I can't listen to these yeah. Astros sympathizers. Uh, <laughs> no, or these Astros haters. In my joke, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. No, you're right, though. It was if you like baseball and you have gotten used to the fact that the Houston Astros are still playing. Um, it's great from a baseball standpoint, uh, well-pitched, really clean game, really good game, two talented teams. I know people are going to go on and on about how the Astros were under 500. Uh, Can we all kind of agree now that they're a good team though? Like their lineup is really good. Uh, their starting pitching is very good. Yes. Their bullpen is just so, so, um, certainly they have weaknesses. You can make the case that Kevin Cash might be a better manager in a big spot. We know about Dusty Baker and some of his issues in the postseason. Um, but this is really going to be a fun series. Uh, I think both of these uh, championship series are going to be excellent. A lot of talented teams. Nobody kind of snuck in here. I think we can kind of get rid of that narrative when it comes to Houston. It really just shows more than anything that 60 games isn't a true microcosm of what a team is capable of. And we are now seeing a lineup in Houston that that's very well seasoned, very used to the moment and really benefiting from the fact that there are no hostile road crowds at all. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I, I, we've been wondering here about the role of the crowds, about the role of the crowds and the fact it's been mostly chalk and you know, what that, you know, what that means. Um, it is, I think baseball is a bit weirder, uh, in the postseason without the crowds. So uh, that has definitely been something. I think they, I feel like they've almost turned it up. The noise? The, the yes. fake crowd Oh, noise. I totally yeah. agree. I was going to ask if you guys thought that too. Like it felt like in the Yankees, Rays game five, I was like, are people there? Yeah. I was upstairs and like, I was like, what is, what's going on? Like, is that a big play? Like, wait, that's almost like a normal question to ask in the next room. Um, so I feel like they, they've turned it up a little bit to try and, counter what i what i'm feeling which is like a regular season game without crowd noise is normal a postseason game without crowd noise is depressing so i think they've, they've turned it up a little bit but 
Um, you know, it is it is interesting to think about what the crowd effect would be for Rays Astros anyway. Um, I guess the the Rays would fill a postseason stadium, so they would they would get that boost. But um, uh, you know, I I don't know. I I, I think uh, this. Some people th- consider this. I, this is. I want to ask DVR this. This is because from an analytical standpoint, you know, the Rays um, have uh, like their lovers, their and their detractors. You know, like they they do things really well, and other people say they're just really cheapos, and they're that's what all they're doing. So there are people on the East Coast. I feel like that's why I want to ask DVR. Like, do you think this is already like? Uh, one of those series where you root for the 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 asteroid. If you're like not an Astros fan or a Tampa Bay fan, or you're just like I hate both of these teams. I don't think so. I think you have you have talent on both sides. That's just fun to watch from a pure baseball perspective. Like if you were frozen in ice for the last year or hundred years, and you'd seen baseball before, and you were just put in front of the TV. To watch Astros Rays, and you didn't know the backstory, especially you wouldn't be that mad about it. Like Fromber looked good. Fromber pitched really well. Uh, The bullpen arms in Houston continue to surprise us. A guy, I mean Blake Taylor, didn't stay in the game long. Ninety Paredes pitched. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like the stuff looks good. Paredes continues to shine. Blake Snell didn't have his best stuff on the other side, but he still got through five innings. Only allowed the one home run to Altuve. I think this is quality stuff. I think this is quality modern baseball. I do think you could make some arguments about the Rays being super cheap, and I think those are valid arguments. But but they're also smart. Like they they actually they are. Like I know it's overused, but they are a, they're a well run organization. Right. They do find talent. Mike Brasso, I mean, hit the home run in Game Five, right? An undrafted free agent found from the Horizon League. Someone to root for, right? He's a guy to root for. Randy Arozarena. We've talked about the Randy Arozarena experience. He's fun to root mm. for. A guy they traded for who was not a hyped-up player when they dealt for him, but he's been great in the postseason. Um, you know, you look at this team. People couldn't even tell if they traded for Jose Martinez or Randy Rosarina, right? You really didn't know who they liked. <laughs> Maybe they liked both. That's, a to- that's totally a Tampa thing, right? <laughs> who did and they make this trade for? in their favor. <laughs> oh, it must be Jose Martinez. And Yeah, right. And then they they release Jose Martinez or whatever. They like basically DFA'd him. Like, no, it was for Randy Rosarino all along. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I think um, like Willie Adames has that sort of infectious energy, kind of like the way Lindor does. Like when you watch Lindor around the diamond and on the field, right? He has that, that energy that kind of Doesn't brings it? everybody up. G man Choi yes. has that too. Like, yeah, the Rays are a fun yes. team. Like they are visually so. a the fun team to watch and to get Agreed. behind. So I think even a neutral observer can get on board with them because they're a bit like San Diego. We've said it before. They don't have a Tatis level star in that group of position players, but they do have that sort of laid back. And I mean, we saw that the, the dance off after game five, right? Like they're they're becoming a team that people who are not familiar with are, are starting to fall in love. with. I agree. And isn't their cheapness also a function of that market? And that stadium. I mean, we 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 see the media, right? Like you're never (laughs) like we 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 have the CMS. We see we see we see the numbers. Like we know how tough that market is, and uh, and and like I also think there's something going on in Tampa that's going on in like Arizona and Colorado 
um, which is that these places didn't have a history of baseball. You weren't handed down your fandom for the D-backs from your grandfather. You know, you like didn't you didn't learn to love uh, the Rockies because your whole family has been going to Rockies games for you know fifty years or whatever. So uh, Tampa is the same thing. Where like you have the joke is that you have a ton of Yankees fans when the Rays come to town when the Yankees come to town. You know that's that's when you get the sellouts. So uh, one thing that is interesting from when you combine these things, the size of the market, the media, you know, the way we write, the way that everybody writes, the way that people tra- tackle this, the way that the team is run, is that you don't get the same sense of their personalities through the season, right? right? Like, you don't know, like, G-Man Choi maybe bubbles to the top because he's, like, a classic guy that, like, is very Twitter-friendly. But, like, it, other than fantasy heads, like, Randy Arozarena was probably a total new guy to them. Dio Castillo, you know, who the heck is this? But the fun thing about the playoffs is now we get the full coverage. Now we get the deep coverage. Now we get the backstories. Now, and what we're, you know, with Willie Adamas in particular, not a great fantasy player, not a great um, offensive player, but a really good defensive player. And the backstory is, is great. He is the heart of this team. I didn't really know this, but him and Manny Margot and Randy Arrazarena have cr- like are this like really tight threesome. And if you just start to watch Willie Adamas, the way he's joking in the in the dugout, the way he talks to people, the way that he interacts with people, you realize he might be the heart of this team. Um, and that's kind of significant. So then you started. You're like Willie is the heart. Randy is the uh, the star. I guess <laughs> at least right now. Um, you know, G-Man is the, is the, uh, you know, the, the, the fun, fun time, you know, the, the, I don't know, just him like swinging right-handed and getting hit, getting hit in the junk. Like, I don't know. He, <laughs> right. He's just funny. I, I do want to say too, while we're like, you know, kind of poo-pooing the Tampa Bay market, they do support the lightning and they haven't, mm-hmm. they've been good, but I didn't realize it had been this long since they advanced out of the first real round of the playoffs. Did you guys? A little yeah, bit like, like the A's, right? A's, right, like A's you, East. Like I didn't realize that it had been since 2008, like that BJ Upton, Evan Longoria team that kind of came out. And I was there mm. that year, and they did sell out. They tarped the upper deck, the upper, upper deck at Tropicana Field. But yeah. people still came out. It was a, I mean, it's very loud in that dome. I don't know if you guys have been there, but because it's a dome, it gets like deafening. So I think the noise would be a little bit of a factor. And it's all that yeah, cement the too, right? Yeah, the catwalks, all this crazy A's, stuff. Like the A's playoffs games are loud because it's yes, just cement. So I, I do think <laughs> even though Tampa gets like, oh, no one would come to the games. Ha ha. There used to no crowds like those jokes. Not in the postseason. They would come. They would fill it up. The Astros would still be booed at Tropicana Field. And those boos would have nowhere to release because of all the crazy catwalks and the way that stadium's all set up. Uh, it would feel louder even if it wasn't quite as loud as a, a Yankee stadium or some of these other open air parks, um, just because of the way it's constructed. But I personally, I don't know about you guys. Uh, well, I do know about you guys because you both picked the race to lose to the Yankees on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> you got some, some absolute genius on this podcast. <laughs> at least we all we said did, it was tight, did. right? <laughs> yeah, we had the game script about low right. scoring. I, hey, you know what? I almost called the Arena home run that was pulled back by Brett oh, Gardner, man, and I was so one close. one bopper off on the Yankee home run the second the time through the order. The second time through the order, so I was, was, I was pretty was close. I just had the team wrong. I've had the teams wrong pretty much the entire postseason so far. But yes. hey, so uh, I'd like to know who your jinx in this round, DVR. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was just thinking about that. If I'm making a prediction on this series, I think the Astros are better than the offense we saw over the 60-game regular season because they're healthier now than they were then, right? They were kind of a league average offense in terms of WRC+. They're not a league average offense, and they don't take league average at bats. And we saw that against Blake Snell in game one. There was a stat on the screen. They don't strike out. They don't strike out. And I think they took Blake Snell to six full counts in his final two innings, like seven in total over five, which they made him work. He went over 100 pitches just to get 15 outs. That's going to be a problem. That's going to create a little more strain on the starters. It's going to push some of those relievers. I think if you start getting those relievers up past you know, 15 to 20 pitches especially, that's when you can grind it out and come up with a a big hit against some of those guys. So I love the way the Astros match up with pretty much anybody. They take so many good at-bats. So I think I'm actually taking the Astros. They dropped game one. No, I think it goes seven. On. They didn't even use Nick Anderson tonight. I know. They, 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 they used their use their B bullpen. Fairbanks. You know, the thing is... <laughs> They used their B bullpen and won. Anderson gave up that home run in game five, and he had allowed six hard-hit balls. He pitched two and two-thirds innings. It was a, mm. Overall, it was a good performance through 32 pitches, but he got hit hard a bunch of times. I was a little surprised we yeah, didn't see him Curtis tonight. for a this full inning. This is very man. nitpicky over here. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm saying this game went about as well as you could go for the Astros, and they lost. Agreed, agreed. Mm. And they were very aggressive on the base pass, which they're going to have to do because... You're going to have to rattle Tampa Bay's pitching, I think, the the only way you can. And their bullpen does have some inexperience in it. Maybe you get a ball thrown away or two. Maybe you, have a get, maybe you get a case where you get those guys, it looks like, you know, trying to get in their heads maybe a little bit. I think it's Tampa Bay in six. I think Houston wins tomorrow. I think they got McCullers going tomorrow. He's been terrific. Um, I think they get one tomorrow. I don't think by any means is this a lopsided series. Um, I think Tampa Bay wins this in six. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I'm, I'm going with Tampa. Of course, that's a kiss of death. I've been wrong like almost every time. But, uh, you know, strikeout rate, batter strikeout rate has predicted every every season, every series in this postseason. It's, it's more important in the postseason than it is in the regular season. And yet the team that it has not predicted this postseason is the Rays. And I think we saw it tonight. You saw Framber Valdez, he, he struck out the side in the first inning, right? You saw... You saw him pitch really well. You saw him get a bunch of strikeouts, eight strikeouts in six innings, and yet they got that homer, and that's what this offense is. It's like we're all going to swing, swing, swing homer, and I feel like they didn't even get as lucky as they could have. They could have had two or three homers tonight if you know Valdez had just been a, 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 titch, a touch worse. And Snell, as much as you think that he got lucky, and I, I hear that, I mean, he, he didn't really dominate this game, and to get out of there with one inning, with one... Um, with one run was uh, pretty impressive uh, for Snell. It wasn't lucky on balls in play. Uh, he had one line out that had a 700 batting average. Um, and then otherwise, he had you know, a double play that was a 790 off of Kyle Tucker. Maybe the outs were situated correctly, and maybe he just got out of things just in time. Uh, but in terms of balls in play, it wasn't like they were hitting rockets everywhere. I think he just had mediocre command and, and got the strikes when he needed them. So uh, if that's going to be their uh, second best pitcher out of three, um, I think they're going to win some games. And, you know, yeah, I'm always wrong. It's fine. You can just use me and bet what against you me. Ha- what if you well, have to be right? Yeah, we... 
We, we both can't be wrong. We're on opposite sides. I mean, unless the asteroid thing happens, in which case it's been a lot of fun doing the pod and yeah, right. hope everybody enjoyed their time on Love Earth. Love you guys. Uh, one last review before you go. Yeah, wait, hit the five stars before the asteroid hit gets here. If you don't mind. I just want us to go out on top. That's the, that's the important thing. Hats off to Diego Castillo, though. He pitched really well again tonight. He was the one that finished off the game five. The only hard hit ball, I think, was the one that ended the game on Friday night. It almost went through the glove of Joey Wendell. Did you guys notice that? That liner at the end of the game almost broke Wendell's glove. I don't think I've seen that happen in a long time. So that would have been high drama if that would have put a runner on base. But, uh, I mean, we're not going to relive Yankees' rays, but... The Mike Brasso versus Aroldis Chapman at bat, oh, legitimately God. one of the best postseason at bats of all time because he went down 0-2. Chapman missed with a slider outside that if he's even a little closer, it might have been close enough to get that call, and that changes everything. And the thing about it, too, Pedro Martinez did a good job, I thought, breaking this down on the postgame show. Chapman was up, he was down, he was outside, he was inside, he was all over trying to... He does not have good command, though. I mean, he was missing some spots. He was, he was missing he spots, but he was, he was trying. <laughs> he was trying to attack Brasso in a, in a uh-huh. logical sort of way. Did you hear what Brasso said afterwards that was pretty interesting? Uh, he said, I was just trying to see it down. Huh. So uh, that was that's pretty interesting because um, Chapman was throwing some back foot sliders, right? I mean, that's, well, that's his deal. Inside fastballs, back foot sliders, and then some outside fastball sometimes, right? And that that's his deal. So uh, Brasso would have been struck out if that had been a slider. Good point. Fair. I mean, that's that's how fine the line is between you know, you know, great, you know, a great story about you know Brasso standing at the plate b- being the totally typical Ray, you know, standing up against a Roldis Chapman, the high dollar, hundred mile an hour closer, fire breathing dude. You know, I mean, that was Ray's Yankees in a nutshell, and uh, and he could have just struck out if it had been a, if it had been a slider instead of a fastball. No, you're right. It's a good point. I mean, that that was an epic game, though. I mean, could you have asked for anything better? Right, coming down to the wire, five game series, two teams that don't like each other, this great rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was just. And we talked about this, I feel like, on the podcast, like with Chapman, is when he is really well-rested, like I think he was for game four, totally lights out. Um, when he doesn't have oh, yeah. that, when he doesn't have you that. You saw that some, in the Indian series. Yeah, you know? yeah, some of the command goes a little bit, and yeah. he's throwing 100, and obviously you need to be able to command that. And the Rays, you know, kind of did a good job of, of really, you know, being selective and bearing down there. And the first half of that game was like, it seemed like, I know it wasn't a high-scoring game. It was never lopsided, but it seemed like, man, the Yankees are just going to win this game. That was kind of the sense I had. I don't know about you guys. Um, it kind of seemed like, oh, the Rays are just going to come up short here. They should have finished them in four. And then it just, that one at bat, the whole thing just flips. The whole script flips. Judge, Stanton, they're all going home. The Rays are celebrating to New York, New York. I mean, which I thought was petty and beautiful um, at the same time. And, and now we are It's funny. I think after the game... <laughs> Was it uh, Fairbanks was like, I hate that song. It's so sad. (laughs) (laughs) It is sad. I was in New York in 2009, and if I have to hear that Empire State of Mind song one more time, that postseason was totally out of control. The Yankees obviously won the World Series. Every time they won a playoff Mm -hmm. game, it was Empire State of Mind. Yeah, God. But, you know, way cooler, way cooler was, did you guys see the dance battle? Dance battle was awesome. Dance battle was awesome. I make a move to replace all these fake 
plastic champagne and Budweiser. Also, like, cheapest beer and cheapest champagne that you can put together because you're going to spray it all over each other with totally manufactured excitement uh, on the behalf of most people involved and us media just trying to get a quote before we get doused by somebody. Can we replace that by dance battles? Holy crap. Brett Phillips. You know, it's funny. Uh, I, I did text somebody in the race organization and said, literally, Brett Phillips, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Agreed. Also, you want to talk about marketing and endearing these guys. Like, let's watch a dance off, right? Like, fans yeah, are going to relate well, to that more than some random dude with Bud Light, like, flipping it in the corner. Like, come on. But the response to my text was, we like his entire package of skills. I did not know that meant a dancer extraordinaire. Dude, he won round one. And in round two, he stepped toe-to-toe to Randy Orozarena. These guys were doing some amazing dance moves. Really good stuff. I mean, a little bit of popping and locking. Definitely some break dancing. Uh, some acrobatic. They both had flips. Uh, both had a good sense of, of, of the beat, I think. And they were doing it. I mean, if you can, if you haven't seen that video, you got to see it. It's it's up there with like the <laughs> Dreams Cranberry video, which I guess Derek Van Riper didn't even know about. Didn't even know what? about it. We talked about literally that How song on that? this pod last week. I didn't know where it came from. I saw the commercial. You didn't for know it. why is it? You know, talking about Fleetwood Mac. I yeah, I didn't know where that came <laughs> from. And then I saw <laughs> saw Mick Fleetwood on the commercial. I thought I was the old dude. He's got some illegal commercial free feed from Korea or something. <laughs> yeah. I will not divulge where I'm like, getting the on feeds TV, from. Dude. <laughs> How are you not suffering through these same commercials? <laughs> yeah. I can't reveal my secrets and I don't want to, uh, you know, jeopardize myself legally by revealing them to you. So anyway, one thing I did notice about Red Phillips is he's the third fastest guy on the team. And um, I think that they put him in as a pinch runner. And so I think they're like he could even be DFA'd next year. I think like that was almost like a Terrence Gore situation. They were like, who's a fast dude who can be our fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder, who bats from the left side? I believe he's a lefty. Yeah. Yeah, I think they wanted one more lefty. Yeah, didn't that used to be like the big September call up thing? Like teams that were good, like, hey, let's get one guy who can just run. He's gonna yeah, make the team it is a thing. and he's just gonna run. Terrence Gore's on the Dodgers on the Dodgers roster. That's it. Season. That's all we need. One yeah. thing. Can you kick it's a field all, goal? Cool. You're on the football team. <laughs> it's, like, it's all about Dave Roberts, dude. Dave Roberts started this all. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Last thing that I saw from the Game 5 that I do think is worth mentioning here is from Mike Petriello on Twitter. 
he put this out there after the game. The average fastball in that game Friday, 97.2, which is just insane. Yeah. It was the second hardest fastball game on record by .1 miles per hour. And it was the hardest fastball game ever if you include the cutters, which I think we should. So uh, if you felt like you were just watching paint and velocity over and over, that's because you were. You it was incredible from a pitching perspective. Yeah, I would, I, I'll push back a little bit on paint. Um, you know, Tyler Tyler Glasnow is like the sixth worst guy in, by Command Plus. Um, and I had a, an argument with someone who called himself a scout uh, about um, uh, <laughs> Garrett Cole's. Someone who called uh, himself a scout. Sorry, they're probably they're probably listening. Sorry, dude. Maybe you are a scout. I don't know. Uh, I've just learned that just putting scout on your Twitter bio uh, does not make you a scout. I learned that the hard way, actually. Um, <laughs> Same thing with injury specialist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or pain guy. Although maybe it is painful to follow him. Um, you know, the thing about, uh, about Garrett Cole was just, you know, how good his, his command actually is. I think we, I think we saw him miss enough. I mean, he walked the, the first three guys to walk the bases loaded, but, um, command is interesting because Fran Bravaldi's, I think like tiptoed tonight on command. Like he did so well on command. And I think we, we saw from Blake Snell was not good command. Like he had pretty good stuff, but he did not have good command. And so they both got to about the same result, kind of by runs, but in terms of what you would expect if you threw those two guys, I think you would expect Frambois Valdez to have better games going forward than Blake Snell. One more quick Rays note, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but are these new shirts that the Rays are sporting with horses on the front that say 98 <sighs> on them, which is a ode, of course, to Kevin Cash saying he's got a staple of guys who throw 98. Diego Castillo in his Zoom today, there's a screenshot, or a bunch of them on Twitter. He's wearing this shirt. It's got just a horse and 98 inside. This is excellent. Who came up with it? Excellent. Excellent. Their hats tonight were terrible. I'm not as enthused. PR. The shirts were PR. good. The hats were terrible. <laughs> I don't know how you guys felt about those. I didn't like the hats I like either. horses. I like horses. You, this year, here's a little known fact about Eno Saris. I've, I've been sharing these, as you might have noticed. Sprinkling them in. Last time was the chickens. Here's a little known fact from Eno Saris. I uh, went to equestrian camp uh, twice as a young man. Boy, is that nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> At what point are you going to write a book about your childhood? Oh, probably, probably, probably my first book. Uh, nobody wants my baseball book. It's like Did Cosmo you... Kramer brought to life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Young Eno holding a chicken, sitting on a horse. <laughs> he's also got a parlay. He's got Iowa State at home against Mizzou, and he's got his dad's a bookie. Don't forget West Virginia at home against That's North right. Carolina. That's so. Right. I think my, my mom just wanted to get me out of her circumstances. So she thought if I take him to tennis lessons and if I take him to equestrian, he'll just be friends with rich people. And <laughs> He's got to be good at something. He ends up being a mom, sports writer. Mom, I'm sorry. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. I don't know anybody from my equestrian or tennis classes. He's not good at horses. He's not good at tennis. <laughs> not can't fight chickens. I'm okay at tennis. <laughs> oh, I can take a chicken on. Don't you start. <laughs> Well, I think we should talk anyway. about the NLCS right. uh, since yeah. that gets underway <laughs> later today. That's an easy segue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> curious so. to see what you do with that later. 
Yeah. Not sure how that, and it's going to come together, but um, <laughs> here we are. Uh, Walker Bueller, Max Fried going in game one of that series. Not surprisingly, Clayton Kershaw, Ian Anderson going in game two. It's almost like these teams have a pattern how they like to use their starters, but uh, beyond that, we don't really know what the Dodgers are going to do because they messed around in the last series with Dustin May. I would hope they would just let him go in game three. In a seven-game series, you can't really cut everybody short. They haven't done it yet. Yeah, they haven't done it yet, so maybe it's Urias, maybe it's May, maybe it all depends on how Bueller and Kershaw fare, right? The game situation in game one or game two could dictate using one of those guys sooner than game three. So uh, I think you can only look at the first two days of the series and analyze these matchups, but the more I've thought about this series, I think it's just going to come down to how well the Braves' young starters hold up and how effectively Brian Snitker manages the bullpen. If he can have sort of that magic touch, pull guys out just at the right time, go to that pen, get the matchups just right. The pen's good enough, but the Braves are clear underdogs here. So as you guys have looked at this matchup, is there anything else that's really caught your eye that might give the Dodgers a significant advantage over Atlanta? Because I think offensively, the Braves can slug with the Dodgers. That's a lineup that can do plenty of damage. Uh, short of putting Kenley Jansen in your little uh, ice machine and sending him back five years? No, I don't I don't think so. I, my biggest issue, and I've heard this all day, like the Dodgers are supposed to be the underdog, right? I think it's two to one. I mean, uh, the Braves are supposed to be underdog. It's two to one. Braves fans are all upset. They think they can hang with the Dodgers. And I agree with them. I think they can hang with the Dodgers. And the primary reason why is when you get to those later innings and the Braves are locked down, you have the Dodgers and who is pitching the ninth inning. We still don't really know what their ninth inning situation is, which would be okay if they were facing like the Rays or a weaker hitting lineup. But the Braves lineup is capable of putting up a crooked number. If you don't have those last few outs on lockdown, the Braves, no game is going to be out of reach for them. So I, I don't, you know, I took your question and totally flipped it, DVR, but I, I just don't think the Dodgers have quite as many advantages in this as people think. If they had pitched great last series, sure. Um, but Kenley Jansen is what right now? On ice? Hanging out? Uh, I, I'm not really sure. Are they pitching him at all in blowouts? I don't think you can he's even... He's up three, down three guy. Like, that's what he right. is right now. Like, he's he's up, not up close three, and late. Though? Up three? I don't think he's a great idea with the Braves offense. Does anyone... You know? I don't know. I, up three, be... bottom of the order, sixth inning? Sure. That's about it. I mean, that's... That's about as comfortable as you can get, though. That's the most niche like spot for him. Um, to me, I just don't know what you do. No, I, I think it's, it's right for us to be talking about games three and four because I think that if you were like doing percentage, who's going to win those games? The Dodgers are at, like sixty percent, and you almost never do that for a single game. You know, you're taught that's like a huge advantage. That's like I think the Dodgers against Kyle Wright and TBD are going to blow the door down i'll take the dodgers i'll take i'll take walker bueller over max Fried. maybe it's close enough where the bullpen uh can matter and i would take i think the the braves bullpen over the dodgers bullpen but if walker bueller does outpitch max Fried, or even if the braves win game one i think game two uh is slightly more dodger friendly and then games three and four are very dodger friendly so i could see the braves winning game one and then the dodgers winning like three in a row and it's still going to like seven 
But I'm going to take the Dodgers based on depth of lineup. And I and this is the way I, I think we should maybe think about this in the future. I'm not sure about this because different pitchers can dip, pitch different lengths. But what if you just slotted up the best pitcher with the best pitcher and the second best pitcher with the second best pitcher, right? And you just did that all the way down. I think the Braves, I think the Dodgers would actually, you'd prefer the Dodger pitcher for pretty long. Yes. Yeah. I, I would agree. Right? Yes. I think you might go to like seven or eight or nine. So if you're talking about like the Dodgers, I mean, the Braves bull, bullpen being better. Yeah, sure. They're like ninth through 11th pitchers are way better. But, right. But we learned from the Nationals that that doesn't always matter. They basically in the playoffs, you're going to only it's like uh, in, in basketball. You might you might play nine guys during the season. In the playoffs, you play six. But who are your two lockdown Dodger guys in the eighth and ninth? What people miss That's is the right. Nationals had two really good relievers that they went to. They had so you John had to be Doolittle. betting on like Gratterall and Kelly or something, right? Or or I guess like maybe Trennan would be a yeah, guy. Okay, but both of those guys are sinker guys, right? Like if you're throwing Joe Kelly in the ninth inning in a tight game, like Oof. who is the advantage? It's advantage Atlanta. <laughs> I agree with you. The starters are better, <laughs> and I do think the Dodgers win this in seven. But I could very easily see Atlanta winning because I don't know if the starters are going to matter. We see starters now; they go five innings, and everyone's like, "What a great start by so and so!" Really, they went five. Yeah. They went half the game. What are you doing the other half the game? I I think the no off days is real. It's Gonsolin. it's change, yeah. Gonsolin just, pitches three times. Right, it just changes the whole complexion of the series, and I think it's going to place a little more emphasis on on the starters going deep and the bullpens. And I don't know. I if you're gonna well, okay. How about this? What if you make May a reliever and he's your closer, basically? I would make him like my two inning reliever, like my bridge to. So I don't May Gratterall. So there, that's the thing. May Gratterall Trinan. Yeah, in yeah, some order, Trinan. yeah. Those, or Gratterall, May, Trinan, or something, you know, those three. Those are your yeah. primary that's three your relievers, and you can go five or six outs with any of them when you need to, right? Like, you could at least pull that once in a while. Right, if he's not your game three opener, I would hope they learn from that disaster. Right. I think Gonsolin becomes, like, more, like, move around three-inning guy, and May becomes closer to two-inning guy, which means that maybe that third and fourth game advantage are overstated, because now they've used May and Gonsolin in these bullpen type roles. Ah, yeah. I mean, it's it, like it's always hard to predict these things, and it'll be deci- decided by Mike Brousseau somehow. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who the, the Mike Brousseau is. I was going to yeah. say, like, who's the unheralded player who's going to decide this series? And uh, <laughs> is Charlie Culberson still on that team? <laughs> if Edwin Rios were. Ah, we're a we part bet of it. on him. I think we love Edwin Rios. Statcast darling Edwin Rios. <laughs> you know what is interesting too, though, that no one's talking about is the Braves pitching is is was ridiculous right the first two rounds because of their opponents. Like how are how is like Max Fried and Anderson and some of these guys going to respond? Actually, like getting hit and facing a real lineup and long at bats. Yeah, and, like grinders. Yeah. You know, I think so. I think so. Uh, uh, although here's another thing. The Dodgers have not seen Ian Anderson, right? Like ever, right? Right. Well, yeah, the Astros and Rays so. hadn't played till this year. I mean, this whole year is right. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I guess I could see the Braves sticking it out. I'm going to pick the Dodgers, but I could I could see how the Braves do it. Well, one of us uh, is going to have to be right here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm also going to take the Dodgers. I'll take the Dodgers <laughs> in six. So, 
Well, if the, oh, if the Braves pull it off, it's, it's really a, a magic touch situation where you know and I just can't get things right at all. What do you think, Britt? <laughs> Break the tie. Oh, I'm going to go Dodgers in seven, though I badly want to pick Braves because, again, I saw this last year. It was like, there's no way the Dodgers can lose. And then their bullpen uh-huh. sucked and they lost. Like, I've seen this movie before, and I'm going to pick a different ending, and I'm going to be really mad if the Braves end up pulling this out. I do think it goes to seven. Sweeps are no fun. Um, you know, then we have off days, and then all we have to do is talk about Eno's chickens for half an hour on this podcast. <laughs> so I hope it goes seven. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I think, God, just get, can Dave Roberts win? I kind of feel bad for him at this point in time. He's a nice guy. Uh, he's got these stacked, stacked teams, and his legacy is going to be that he never won, right? That's going to be his legacy if he doesn't win. I think it is fair to ask if the Dodgers don't give him enough autonomy. There is a lot of research, actually, in terms of workplace stuff. And I think that actually we've seen this at The Athletic. One of the nice reasons, one of the reasons it's nice to work here is I think they give you autonomy. Like if you have an idea and it's even beyond the scope of your normal editor, you can go find another editor. There are enterprise editors. There are like collaboration editors. There are all these different people that you can find to like put this thing together. One of the, my favorite things about working athletic has been like collaborations with Mark Carrig and Andrew Bagley and just like all the different, I have like projects always working with like, I have, Oh, I, okay, Britt, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get on that one. I know we, we got something we're working on, Come on yeah. <laughs> but I love that. And I just wonder, maybe they don't give Roberts enough autonomy. I mean, right. Do you, do you think cash is, is calling more of this or is cash just reading off a piece of paper? Uh, but I do know for a fact that like before the game, there's something called like, it's sort of like a broadcasters rights holders meeting where like, like the the people who broadcast the game get like a sit down with the manager separate from the writers and uh a lot of times they'll get a sense of who's pitching in what order so they can do some research and have something to say on air and um you know roberts i think has been pretty much like he even said okay so outside of this if you want like outside corroboration roberts said one year the plan was to go to kenley for two innings do you remember that well, and the plan was to go for Clayton Kershaw no matter what in the seventh in that game five. Right. Yes. So th- that you're, he's telling you yes. that it wasn't his choice. Yes. I he said the plan was. Yes. I don't know if Kevin Cash has more autonomy. Uh, or, or they just make just, better decisions. Yeah, or if he's just better at, at blending the, the, the front office. He seems more of the modern manager, right? The front office. Maybe. But also the former player. He's a little like Rocco yeah. Baldelli asks kind of the same thing. I don't know. Maybe yeah. he's just better at that. I was thinking about the, what, something Eno said about the Rays bullpen, I don't know, last week or so. It's not just that they're good and deep. It's that they all look different, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. Ryan Thompson, how do you hit Ryan Thompson after seeing Blake Snell? Like, not only is it coming from the opposite side, but it's coming like underhand almost, right? It's just such a funky low slot. Like, and then... If you think about like the banana peel concept where your pitches are all supposed to like kind of look the same, come out of the hand and go different directions. Imagine the banana peel, but now the banana peel's coming from different arm slots. Like that's the way to make yeah. the banana peels even more tricky is like it's Thompson. You just can't get used to it. Like I I wonder yeah, Anderson. So what I wonder is I wonder if the Rays have put together a bullpen that is harder to adjust to than some of the bullpens we've seen from the Dodgers. I I don't think Dave Roberts is a bad manager. I got a name for you. Imagine facing Blake Trinan after Bruce Algratterall. 
you you look at Blake Trinan by himself, you're like, oh my god, 98 was sink. If you look at Bruzar Gratterall by himself, you're like, oh my god, 100 was sink and fade. You know, you put them right in front of each other. If you've been timing up Bruzar Gratterall, maybe Trinan is like, oh, that's easier. Right. You need someone to throw poo out there, like. <laughs> low arm slot 80 frisbees from underneath. yeah you need, you need frisbees or something in between like you you're right you're there, right and there's there's actually a, a analytical uh standpoint for this too there's called the knuckleball uh, knuckleball hangover this has actually been yes. shown there is a true thing that after a knuckleballer pitches uh, the people after him perform better than you expect yes Buck Showalter used and, to always talk about that. Hey, I'm glad there's an actual stat. Sometimes I think he's. I think that. I think that. I think that actually kind of. I'm going to shoehorn that into what you're talking about, Derek. You know, it's like, yeah, if you just saw from underneath, it might. You know, if you just saw 88 with super sync from underneath, and then Nick Anderson comes and is throwing you 98 your nipples, like maybe that's really hard to to like adjust to. Whereas if everybody was just like. We've got this thing going on. Like right. we're, we're all at the top of the zone. We all have we all have ride. You know, right. you might at the end of it just be like, oh, I, I got this now. Well, don't you guys ever go to the batting cages? Because my husband and I do, and there's the softballs and there's baseball. And if I go from, I mean, <laughs> a very low level example here, but if I go from <laughs> the fast baseball cage, it gets up to like. 75 80 by the way and i hit it mm-hmm. and then i go to nice. the softball one it takes me an entire like it's 15 you put a token in it's 15 pitches that whole next one i'm total shit. like i can't hit the softball at all it's coming in at a different and arc. did you play softball i did um and i have no time so that should no be field. like that should almost be like riding a bike or something right you know? so it's equivalent to like a regular yeah. pitcher right they should be able yeah. to quickly adjust and they can't um, because I think it's that recent muscle memory. I think it's like the muscle fibers. You've been practicing this for that short span. That is what's on your mind, what you're focused on. And now you can't go back to that old. You need a little adjustment period. It's part of the third time through the order thing, right? Yeah. This is like the third time you see the guy is after you deposited, you know, the $5 and you went through the whole thing. Yep. The third time through the order is the next $5 or whatever, you know, <laughs> totally. it's like, oh, now I'm ready. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think this is uh, definitely a thing. Um, I don't know that the Dodgers are necessarily bad at it or they just didn't get it together to get those types of players this year. But we now have, the I think, the Orioles bullpen and the Rays bullpen as guides. Actually, I think probably even the A's have tried this. You know, you got Yusmera Petit. You got... Uh, um, Dake Deekman, you got like you got really different arm slots. I think variants of arm slots and speeds is probably a good thing to achieve from your from your bullpen. So uh, now you're making me question my pick. Well, the Brewers are doing it too, though, because they've they had Oliver Drake actually before and the Claudio. Claudio, Claudio, the best. and yes. Eric Yardley he throws like 67. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's slinging some poo up there, like it's ridiculous. So you watch him, Brent Suter. That's funky as hell and it works like those guys all have different looks aside from the fact that there's a big change in velo and a big change in pitches haters obviously his own thing freddie peralta hides the ball really well behind his head coming from the right side people don't like almost like a righty hater in a way yeah i think he could be a really good one inning guy so i think some of these teams are really on to something with the, the the varying parts like yeah you want your relievers to have a few common traits but you also want them to be generally kind of different looks that you can mix and match to really just keep hitters completely uncomfortable hey whatever we can do to keep submariners alive and knuckleballers hey why don't you get a knuckleball on that pen dudes yeah 
Yeah, those are great, great thinkers, <laughs> great quotes. Keep, keep them alive. Is it too late for me to learn how to throw a knuckleball and do something with my life? No. No. <laughs> well, I don't know about the second part of that. Yeah. yeah. Learn a knuckleball, maybe. <laughs> Wait, what, what is this podcast? Do you nothing? <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it's a lot. It's everything to me. But to, <laughs> no, I didn't to my family, that. they're like, like, what are you doing here? Not- <laughs> like, what's... <laughs> I thought you were gonna be a my doctor family. when you were young. Like, my dad even likes baseball, dude. I don't even think he listens to this. My mom, who doesn't like baseball, does. So there's my family in a nutshell. Yeah, I hope your mom's doing well. She always asks how I'm doing because you don't on most episodes, which is really nice of her. Mom, if you stuck all the way through this, I love you. Uh, I don't know what why you, uh, this is amazing that you're here right now. Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Everybody go visit the Ghost City Inn in Jerome, Arizona. Nice. She won't you won't see my mom because it's contactless at this point, but But she's there. But she's there. She's like a ghost. Omnipresent. <laughs> Just like a ghost. I'm interested to see how Derek's gonna segue out of this show now. <laughs> yeah. Wait, do we so we have our picks. We have our picks, right? What are our picks? Let's review the picks real quick. Dodgers, Dodgers and six. Oh, we are all Dodgers? Yep. Yeah. Do it, Eno. Do it. Oh man, we are screwed. I know. No. Yeah, I'm going Dodgers, but I'm going seven. I think I think it'll be a good one. All right. Well, I mean, I'd love to see seven. I actually would love to see the Braves win. I'd love to see the Rays win, but I just, you know, I think it's going to be Astros Dodgers. Like we're getting a rematch. Uh, of you think it's going to be Astros Dodgers? God. See, speaking of an asteroid. <laughs> Come on, it wouldn't be that bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. TBS would love it. <laughs> they would. They really. Oh would. my gosh. Oh, I think the media would love that. Just a rematch? Oh, boy. A lot of threads to pull there. So um, I will say, if, if my dad is listening to the show for the first time uh, at episode 153, thanks for jumping on board, Dad. Uh, let's go play golf on Friday. If you are not my dad and you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review the podcast, please take a moment to do that. We really appreciate it. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, $1 a month oh at theathletic.com slash rates in barrels. All the stuff we do is there. On Twitter, she's at Brit underscore Giroli. He's at Unosaris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. <laughs> that is going to wrap things up this episode of Rates in Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Oh, my God. Thanks for listening. <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.